Well, we're not only here for the worshipping of the Lord or the dedication, but also for the preaching of the Word of God and the hearing of the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And in the light of the fact that we've had the dedication this morning, I felt it would be good, in fact I should say I feel led of the Lord, that we should be looking at a passage to do with children and bringing up children in the ways of the Lord. And not so much looking at things from the child's perspective, but from the parent's perspective. Okay. So we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are asking you that you would anoint the speaking of your word and the hearing of your word. We pray once again. Lord, would you cause your word to be mixed with faith as we hear, that we might respond to it in a living way. And Lord, we ask of you that whatever you are wanting to say to us as a congregation, we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We need your help, Lord, and we pray for your guidance and your protection and your leading in this time. And we will be careful to give you all the praise and the glory for hearing this, our prayer, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I thought it'd be good, as I mentioned, that we focus on parenting children according to what the Word of God says. And this is a vital subject that really we don't spend enough time on within the church, generally speaking. Um, and we don't teach enough on this particular theme. I was thinking back last year when we were in lockdown... I did a message on reformation in the home. And then I think the year before, in December 2019, I touched on this matter of bringing up children in the ways of the Lord. But it's so crucial, and it's a vital teaching that is often lost, and we need to see it recovered in our day. So let's look at this first verse that we read just a moment ago in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them 
and the disciples rebuke them. Now, friends, I don't know entirely how many of you are parents today, but even if you are not parents, this still is valid for you within the household of God. It really is. Because we are a family as a church together. And it's so important that each one of us, by the Spirit of God, see these verses appropriated to us as he would show us. The first thing you notice about this verse is that people were bringing their children to Jesus. And this is probably parents bringing their children to the Lord Jesus. And the question I want to ask you right from the outset of this time is where do you take your children? And to whom do you take them? Who do you lead them to? These are parents that are bringing their children to the Lord Jesus. And it's absolutely vital as parents that we learn to first of all bring our children to the Lord Jesus. Remember the word of God says in Psalm 127 and verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. The fruit of the womb, a reward. That's Psalm 127 and verse 3. So the Lord actually gifts his people with children. And that means that the Lord holds us as parents responsible for what we do with them. This is really, really vital. Okay. And one of the surest ways to lose your children to the world is to let them live as though they live in the world. Okay. Just let them go. And you'll see where they go. There is a responsibility upon us as parents to bring our children up in the ways of the Lord, okay? Now, in this particular passage, it talks about children. We don't know how old these children are that come to the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 5, it, they are described as infants. The Greek word for that is braphos. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, that particular Greek word is used as a baby. I think these are quite young ones that the Lord Jesus takes up in his arms. I don't think they're necessarily babies, but they're young ones. And so these parents are actually bringing their children to the Lord from a very early age. And parents, that is your number one priority. It's not their education. It's not them learning math. It's them coming to Jesus. The emphasis today, even within church, is so much on we really want our children to have a good education. Which is great. Praise God for that. I'm not demeaning it or decrying it at all. But that is not number one priority for you as a parent. Number one priority for you as a parent is to take these gifts that God has given you and bring them back to the God who's given them to you. 
And the, the fault of the day is that so many in the church are simply not doing it. And if you're not doing it, I can tell you, you're abdicating your God-given responsibility before God. You say, that sounds too serious. It's extremely serious. It's really serious. Why did they bring these little ones to Jesus? It says in the text they brought these little ones to Jesus so that he might touch them. He might touch them. What does that mean? The word touch is expanded upon in Matthew's Gospel. And in Matthew's Gospel he says that actually... that. Uh, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So they're bringing them to the Lord Jesus so that the Lord Jesus would pray over them and pray over them with his hands upon them. That's just what we've been doing this morning. Now, Jewish parents commonly sought the blessing of prominent rabbis for their children. Okay. So this would be something they do. They see Jesus as this teacher that many were following. And they wanted to bring their children to him that he might lay his hand on them. And friends, this wasn't simply so that a ritual could be performed. When Jesus lays his hands on people, things happen. That's the thing. There's an impartation of blessing. And that is the desperate need of our day, to see the imparting of blessing to our children that are coming under the influence of the world due to our neglect. Okay? That's the reality of the matter. The laying on of hands was not a simple tradition. As I said, this was... An important impartation of blessing. An example of this is in the book of Numbers and chapter 27. Numbers and chapter 27. And in Numbers 27 and verse 18, we read about the Lord commanding Moses to lay hands on Joshua. In verse 18 it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. Verse 22. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. 
There's other examples we could give. Impartation. There's something here that God is bringing upon Joshua to take the people of God on. It's not simply something that's to be an outward sign of something, but an imparting in this sense of something, of authority to be given here. And do you remember how Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 that he longed to see the church at Rome, that he may impart some spiritual blessing to them so that they may be established. And so when there's laying on of hands, when there's this kind of practice, we see it in the Old Testament, it wasn't unto nothing, friends. It wasn't a ritual. It was unto that child or that adult being blessed in a peculiar way, in a particular way. And that is what we see. Even when Jesus is laying his hands on these children, do you really think that nothing's going to happen? Jesus has never prayed and failed. Do you realize that? There's not one prayer Jesus has prayed that has failed. Because the Father hears the Son all the time. There's not one prayer that Jesus has prayed for his people that has meant failure before the Father. Every single prayer that Jesus prays for his own, he comes to fulfillment because Jesus is the intercessor of his people. And praise God that in this particular text, these people in the Gospel of Mark, and as it says in Matthew, brought their children to Jesus that he might touch them, that they might know impartation of blessing from the Lord himself. So the real first priority for every parent in this room is to bring your children to Jesus in order that he would touch their lives. And that's exactly, in a way, what Stanley and Alithia, Jerome and Felicia have done today. They have sought to bring their children to the Lord Jesus in order that he would lay his hand, he would touch them, he would bless them. He would minister to them. But this is not a once-off issue. This is not about just a dedication service. This is about something that is to continue for the rest of their lives. That these parents now become examples to their children every single day. Why is that? Well, I have to tell you, if you're not aware of it, that there is a mighty tussle for the souls of children and their minds in this generation. In this generation. There is a real battle on for the minds of young people. We see it everywhere, particularly within the education system that we uh, that surrounds us. There is such a fight. There is such a fight. Do you know, back in this passage in Mark and chapter 10, having brought these children to Jesus, before they even got to Jesus, it says that the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) The disciples are rebuking the parents and the leaders, whoever they are, guardians, whoever they may be, from even thinking about bringing these children to Jesus because Jesus is very busy. You should not be doing this. Immediately they start trying to bring their children to Jesus. There's opposition. And there's opposition today. If you really mean business, 
you really mean business, that you want to bring your children up in the ways of the Lord, you will at one time or another come into opposition. And sometimes it will be from the most unlikely places. Sometimes it can even be family members are not happy that you are seeking to diligently bring up your child in the ways of the Lord. And they will say, you need to give your child a little more space to do things that are more, more worldly. And Christians can talk like this. Do you know that? Christians can talk like this. Well, don't be too serious about the scriptures with them. You don't need to, you know, they need a little bit of opportunity to do their own thing. Sounds so good, doesn't it? Aren't Christians nice people? They want to show you what to do with your parents. Sorry, with your children, not your parents. We'll probably go on to that next. But, but they want to, want to show you what to do with your children. The way to deal with that is by saying, that's really kind of you to say that, and thank you for saying it so strongly uh, in my face. Would you mind showing me where it says that in the Bible? Because I, 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 I go from this book. This is the way I bring my children up. And people say, well, yes, I know you've got to do, bring your children. But, you know, hey, they've got to feel part of society because if they don't feel part of society, then they're going to be a bit odd. Yes? Can you show me chapter and verse, please? Amazing. Do you know how many Christians are sleepwalking their children into worldliness and godless living? And God, listen to this, God will hold them responsible. The way you bring up your children, 100%, God is on your case over it. These disciples were rebuking parents for bringing their children to Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Isn't that amazing? How dare you get in the way of these parents bringing these children to me? There's a strength here. I can't. I just can't imagine. It's it's so extraordinary what got into these disciples' minds and hearts that they would actually rebuke parents for bringing their children to Jesus. And actually, when you think about it, probably what they were thinking is Jesus is too important for this. And friends, you know what? We might not be like the disciples. But we might have an understanding of things that is not right as well. We might have priorities where we say, well, actually, my work is more important than bringing my children up. I've got to get food on the table. That's number one priority. Number two priority is we've got to sort this mortgage out. Number three is I really want to convert the garage into a nice extra room. We've got to get that done. Let's push everything into that. Your num pro, num, I'm just speaking biblically, okay? 
So don't blame me. Just go to the Lord afterwards. He can handle the criticism. I'm not very good at that. Your number one priority as husband and wife is saying to your children, we want to bring you to Jesus. That's number one. That's number one. And it's going to cost you. It's really going to cost you. It's going to hurt in some area of your life. It's going to break the routine in some area. There may be something whereby you're going to have to give something up in order that there will be time with your children where you sit them down. Something has to go. Something has to give. But you know, dear friends, we can say we want our children to grow up in the ways of the Lord. We can say we want that. But I love the phrase, it's not a biblical one, but I love this phrase. And I never get it right, so I'm going to try and get it right now, okay? Here it is. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Okay, there you go. How do, as a parent, do you know that you're concerned that your children grow up to be men and women of God? I take them to church once a week on a Sunday morning. And is that it? Or is your week got time set aside where these children are going to hear the word of God? It's one thing to believe and accept and want on a one level to bring your children up. But the evidence that you really believe is not that you believe, it's that you act on your belief. And if you don't act on your belief, your belief is just, what does it do? Really, what does it do? It doesn't do anything. You remember in James, James says, the devils, they believe. Devils believe and tremble. But the truth that I really have taken this to heart is I act upon the word of God. The evidence of biblical believing is obedience. Full stop. That's the real evidence. The evidence that I really mean business with God is I obey this book. Not that I believe that it's right or I sign up to the doctrinal creed you can even be brilliant and you can say, well, I go along with the 1689 Baptist confessional. And I say, well, that's good. How's it affecting your life? Evangelicism has become just a set of beliefs in many senses. And we need to get beyond just believing into action. And the reason we need to get beyond believing and interaction is because, as I said earlier, there is a real fight for your children. There really is. There's things that have come in to secular education now that are so godless. And many children are being brought up to believe things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. 
Do you know that? Think of this. You know, whoever trains your children will probably have them. I'm just asking you to have a real check over the way that you bring up your children this morning. I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying this is so important. Okay? If they go to school, our children will be ch- trained for 30 hours a week, 38 weeks of the year, compared with Sunday morning for one hour a week. Who's going to win? Something's got to get into our hearts as parents, as, and we've got to begin to say, thus far and no further. This is it. You know, our children are being taught such godlessness now in schools. You're getting children as young as three and four being taught that homosexuality and these kind of things are just normal. They are not normal. And they are against what the Bible teaches. So do I want my children to go off to school and be taught all of that? And then in the home, I barely talk to them about the Lord. Did you know that this whole notion concerning state education that we've all grown up in, has really become secular over the last hundred years. Do you know most of education in this country was originally attached to the Church of England? And what the children would be taught is godly things. And the reason they'd be taught to read is so that they can understand the Bible. Today... We have children as young as three, four, going to school, being taught that homosexuality is fine, that, you know, stories about two mums together or two dads together, as well as a dad and a mum together, being brought up in a system that confuses their gender. What is this? In Wales, the Minister of Education, Kirsty Williams, is pushing an education bill which requires all pupils to study atheism. With a scrapping of the original religious education framework, which was said to have been good. This is happening. Now you can't tell me that taking the children to school where the teacher is the figurehead and being told these things, that it's going to have no effect whatsoever upon their consciences. Now you may say, well, are you saying that you shouldn't take your children to school? No, I'm not saying that at all. That's between you and the Lord. But you've got to make that decision having prayed about it and sought the Lord in these days. To just go ahead with it in and of itself is just to do it because we do it. Why am I taking my children to this school knowing that they teach this? 
Or am I active in that school, knowing that they teach these things, and going in and making sure my child comes out of that lesson and has no part in it? Okay, it's really, really important that we bring our children up in the ways of the living God. What happens when we don't? Well, in the book of Judges, chapter 2, there's an interesting little phrase I'm going to turn you to. Judges 2 and verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people went... The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tamnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or work, or the work that he had done for Israel. So there's a generation that grows up without the knowledge of God and what he has done. And friends, the result of the lack of knowledge is found in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Why? It all began with a generation growing up that didn't know the Lord. We are in and among a generation that does not know the Lord, friends. You go on the streets, you speak to young people, they don't know about God. Some of them haven't even opened a Bible in their lives. And they're in their teens. You you will find that generally amongst the young of today, they have not been taught the ways of God. And as a result, look at what happens. There is an abandoning of the living God that this country by and large once at least feared. And there's a going after other gods. And that's exactly what we've got today. Secular humanism is everywhere amongst the young people. And it's awful. The, the, the immorality that goes on amongst young people. Some young people don't even know what gender they are anymore. When people don't even know, when a child doesn't even know what bathroom they're to go in, what has become of us? The whole issue is so ridiculous. And yet people take these things seriously that a person should be able to decide what bathroom they go into. That's the state we've got to in our thinking in this country. 
What is happening is the Lord's handing us over to a debased mind because of our godlessness and because of our, our abandoning of the commandments of God. That's exactly what's happening. And so we now have people who are in their 20s, 30s and 40s who are teachers in schools who've been brought up this way have now reached the age where they can teach the generation below that secular humanism is right. And it's everywhere, friends. And what we don't realize is that generations ago, you'd never go into a school and be taught that atheism is right, that homosexuality is right. You'd be taught the word of God. Even when I was young at secondary school, we were told to say the Lord's Prayer in an assembly. Yet I went to a particular school where I used to teach and I see up on the desk a cross and right next to it a Buddha. All these confusion that's come in. Why is it? Well, what's happened is we've abandoned the laws of God and therefore the wars are broken down. So the powers of darkness can come in. And our children are being left to these demonic powers that are infiltrating their minds from a young age while so many adults just let them get on with it. But that should not be the case within the church. See, this isn't about whether or not you believe your children should go to school or not. That isn't the issue here. The issue here is what's happening in the home. What are you doing about your children's education? Say, oh, they go to one of the best schools in the area. I don't mean that. I'm talking about the godly education. In fact, you're going to have to go a little bit harder these days because there's so much attack within the schools. I've said it before. I'll say it again. In the Westminster Assembly of the 1640s, when the Puritans came together, Dr. Joel Beakey was speaking about this. If as parents you were not teaching your children the word of God as Christian parents, you would be admonished before the leadership of the Puritans. And then if you continued not doing it, then you would be censured and to the point where they'd actually prevent you coming to the Lord's table because you're not doing what the Word of God teaches. Imagine if we stipulated those laws today. We'd be in an awful lot of trouble. Now, I'm not trying to suggest this is the way forward. I'm trying to show you how seriously our forefathers in the faith treated this matter of parents teaching their children the Word of God. It was so serious. Well, you say, surely it doesn't really matter too much. They've got to learn their own way. No. It says in the book of Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. You are to do the training. I tell you what, dear friends, your school won't do it for you anymore. You, as a parent, before God, show your children how seriously you take this. I want to tell you one thing. I'll let you in on a secret because I used to be a child once. <laughs> what was it that kept me in the faith? What was it that influenced me as a child? I'll tell you for nothing what it was. 
it was this that my parents um, took seriously the Bible. That was it. Because they took it seriously, I took it seriously. If you don't take it seriously, they won't take it seriously. They won't. They just won't. I've seen it. I saw it with my peers. I saw it with parents that were more, more liberal with their children, let them get on with doing what they want and watching things that weren't good and all of the rest of it. And I saw that what happened in their lives because the parents let them get on with it. Why? Because we need to be liberal and everything. No, we don't. We need to be biblical. Biblical. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't follow, firstly, the regulations of this society. When they clash with the kingdom of God, you follow Jesus Christ. And who cares what people think about you anyway? The most important thing that you should care about is what God thinks of you. It's so absolutely vital that you and I lay hold of this reality. So how are we to bring our children up then? How are we practically to do it? You can't make your child a Christian. That is true. You can't make them a Christian. You can't force them into the kingdom of God. Only God can save people. But there is this work of God, this family, that God created family, you know that. And he's put children into a blessed position when they're brought up in Christian homes to actually hear the word of God. I would rather this be one of the main priorities in your life that you teach your children the word of God. Why do I say that? Well, Deuteronomy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy 6. This is what the Lord said that the people of Israel were to do. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? And then you get on to verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as, a fr as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now I'm going to bring a particular challenge to a particular group of you here this morning, shortly. And this, this is going to matter. Okay. But just go back to verse 7. What's the first thing the Lord tells the Israelites to do? You shall teach them to your children. Is that what it says? Diligently. Diligently. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You say to me, oh, this is Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Oh, really? 
one of these people who are law unto themselves. You know, the, the idea that you can abandon these Old Testament scriptures because you're in the New, new Covenant is completely foreign to the scriptures. You'll find the Old Testament in the New Testament everywhere. <laughs> you can't abandon these scriptures. This is part of the word of God. It's the whole counsel of God that we need. And we need these Old Testament scriptures. Paul drew from them to speak to the church at Corinth. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The word diligent there means from the Hebrew to sharpen. <laughs> to sharpen. Or to inculcate anything on anyone. To inculcate anything on anyone. Instill an idea of attitude or habit by persistent instruction. That's what this word means. Sharp. I want to ask you a question. How diligently, parents, do you teach your children the word of God? How sharp are you? Is there a cutting edge to your Christianity? You know, the sad thing today is that most of us, we can be up in the morning or it can be later in the evening and we sort of think we have to have our time with the children or whatever it may be. And the first thing we want to do is just let me get the slippers on. You know, I, I'm, I'm speaking by experience here. This is my experience. I like to feel comfortable I like to feel at ease. I like to have the blanket over me when it's cold. I like to have a nice hot cup of coffee, whether it be morning or evening, this is me. And then to have to... No, I can't just do this. I then need to leave my want of a cup of coffee for a minute and go and teach the children. But I've been out all day. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. It's hard. We have to work long hours these days as well. It's hard. It is really difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. It's really, really difficult sometimes. Especially if you're a hard-working kind of mum or dad. It's really hard. You sort of think, oh, I'm so tired. My eyelids are barely open. And you're sort of ready to drop off. Just like that. Just like Jerome's done. No, no, he didn't really. I'm joking. But the Lord says, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're in an army. You're in a battle. There's certain things you can't afford not to do. The Lord will give you rest. The Lord will give you peace. The Lord will give you joy. He's not a slave driver, but... There's going to be times when your flesh will be weary and you have to fight. And you're going to have to fight for the sake of your children. And you're going to have to battle for them. As Nehemiah said, fight, fight for your families. Fight for your wives, for your children, for your brethren. In building up this wall around Jerusalem. And what about the Jerusalem of your home? Are the walls built up? What's coming in? What's going out? It says here, teach them diligently. 
Let there be a sharpened edge about you so that even when you teach them, you're not going through the motions, you're actually trying to impart something of the word of God to them. Now you say, do I have to do this every day? That's between you and the Lord. Whether it's three, four, five days a week, that's between you and the Lord. But there needs to be something regular within the week where as parents you are bringing your children, you're sitting them down and saying, right, little Joshua, we are going to read the word of God. And he may say, I don't want to. I'm sure he won't because obviously, you know, Joshua is the son of Stanley who is a very saintly man. So that would never happen. But let's just imagine it is. It does happen. And Joshua said, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be it. And you say, you're not eating until we have our time together. And then you'll find they're wonderfully compliant. (laughs) You don't have Bible time, you don't eat. It's easy, isn't it? You say, you're cruel and harsh. No, I'm being kind. The first thing your children need, actually, isn't even physical food. They need the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you have your time, your meal times together, is the subject of your conversation the word of God? Is it about the commandments of God? Is it about the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the word of God? Or is it always about why Chelsea are not doing so well at the moment in the football? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You've got to have different... There's all different conversations you have. Of course. But it should always come back to this central conversation. The Lord and his word. Do you know how you know whether the word is in your heart? Do you remember what the scriptures say? They say this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your number one heart thing is football, that's what you'll talk about most of all. If it's different types of dog, You'll talk mostly about different types of dog. You might talk about the word of God now and again on occasions. You know, it's quite interesting now and again to talk about a bit of the Bible. But you'll always come back to your love of different breeds of dogs. That will be first. That will be the primary thing, you see. But if your primary love is Jesus and the word of God, although these other conversations come in and they're interesting and they're fun and we love them somehow, You come back to talking about Jesus and the word of God and what the Lord's shown you in the word. That's what you do. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you're around the dinner table, start speaking to your children about the Lord. You'd be surprised what happens. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you're going out, sometimes I take the children out Once a month I take one of them out, each in their turn, 
Isaac, Ben, Bethy, once a month. And I'll go out and I'll try and bring something of conversation of the Lord into the situation. Talk about Jesus on the way. Isn't he the best person in your life? Don't you love him most? Now come on, most of you remember when you were first in love. And thankfully none of us were around you. And because all that you would talk about is so and so. Oh, it's just amazing. You know, the ladies would say, oh, he's my knight in shining armor. He can do nothing wrong. He's beautiful. He's, oh, he's everything. How was your day today? It was fine, but I saw so and so. And you have that sort of sparkly look. And the guys are the same. Oh, I saw, what's her name? Oh, man, she's amazing. Yeah, all that's great. But why do you talk like that? Because that person's really in your heart. But the Lord Jesus is your number one love. Talk about him. By the way, when you lie down, when you lie down, often when I lie down, it's not long before I'm just out. I mean, I put my head on the pillow. And if I'm praying, Helena will give me a nudge. You haven't finished your prayer. Oh. <laughs> so I try and finish my prayer through, and then sometimes I can fall down. I've even prayed in my sleep before. That was really interesting. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just find that, you know, when you lie down, what's the last thing you do before you go to sleep? You talk to Jesus, right? Talk about the Lord, or say a Bible verse, or... When you get up, when you rise, that's why when all of you rise, you're always praising the Lord, aren't you, in the morning? You're never thinking, oh, it's raining outside, it's Monday morning. You get up and you're thanking the Lord for a marvellous new day. Well, some of us struggle a bit, don't we? And join my club. But when we get up, we just need to learn. When you get up, this is what the Bible says. Let your children know you're talking to Jesus. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Every time you look down at your hand, you'd see this sign. It's like a sign for the word of God. What do you do with your hands? Do everything as unto the Lord. With your hands. You work with your hands, don't you? Work with your hands. Every work, let it be unto the Lord. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Let your eyes be focused on the Lord. On the word of God. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I think that's beautiful. You write them on the gates. The last thing you see when you leave your house is the word of God. And the first thing you see when you come back is the word of God. Is the word up? And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that, that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It was the Lord that brought you out so that you might be a testimony. But isn't it wonderful that the outworking of godly living is life and abundance with the Lord? I'm not necessarily talking about physical abundance, but the Lord blesses financially as well at times. 
The Lord preserves us at times, whatever it may be. But the Lord's blessing is upon the house that teaches the word of God. Now we're coming to an end. I said I'm going to challenge you. But I'm not going to challenge all of you. What, who has who is given the responsibility primarily of making sure that the children are into the word of God any idea they're sort of like little bleating sheep <laughs> fathers Fathers, you say, no, that's my wife's duty. No, fathers, it's your responsibility. Primarily before God, you are responsible because you are the head of the home. And the Lord will not firstly put it at your wife's door, but put it at yours. Because you are to set the tone for what happens in the house. So as, that's why I'm glad the guys are in, right? If I had Felicia and Alithia here, I'd be thinking, oh, how can I put this? But the Lord has wonderfully orchestrated it. <laughs> that I've got Jerome and Stanley here. It's a real privilege and a blessing to be a father. But it's also a tremendous responsibility. Because you are called to lead your children and teach them the word of God. When you gather around as a family, the father should be the one primarily teaching the word of God to the children. Now, mothers, that doesn't mean you don't have responsibility. There's times when the husband isn't there or he's not well. He can't do that. Or is away. Who's going to teach them then? What about during the day when your child asks you a question? And the prayer life of a mother is absolutely vital for the child. See, as mothers, it's often prayer, 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 prayer. The unseen work of a mother is to pray for their children. The work of the Father is to teach the children the Word of God. Look, turn with me to New Testament, Ephesians 6, as we come to a close. Right, look at Ephesians 6. We haven't got there in our study through Ephesians yet, but God willing... If we're all around in 2074, we would have reached Ephesians chapter 6. So I'm giving you a preview for that year. I think we'll all be with the Lord by then. I think, I think things would have been wrapped up. Ephesians 6 verse 1 says about children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. That means do, do not exacerbate them. Do not 
arouse to wrath. Exasperate them. Sorry, I'm getting my words wrong. Um, why does it say that? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Who is to bring the children up? The fathers. Look at Colossians 3, please. Rules for the household. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There is, a, there is something about fathers not bringing their children into discouragement by means of over-disciplining them. But rather they are to bring them up in teaching them the word of God. There is an absolute necessity laid upon you, brethren. Brothers, listen. This is hard. This isn't always easy. I don't know about you, but I, I just love an easier life. The thought, again, of the coffee and slippers. Just wonderful. But we are on active duty 24 hours a day. And the Lord requires us as men to become men. And our wives would want us to become men. And instead of constantly trying to get the easiest outcome, say, right, number one priority in this home is we are getting into the word of God. Husbands, the Lord puts responsibility primarily upon you. And it's time that men became men in the church. And we weren't fickle and feeble, but we start acting like Men. And your wives will reap the reward and the blessing of men becoming men within the household of God. Wake up, brothers. It's time to realize you need to fight for your children. Tomorrow it could be too late. Be on the alert. Act like men. Be strong. When you teach your children, you'll be ministering to your wife as well. The father sets the tone for the spirituality within the home. And don't Put it on your wife. Own up 
say, hey, apologize to your wife, your children. Hey, I'm really sorry. I've not been leading this family in the ways of God. But from now on, we with Joshua will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what is desperately needed in Christian homes up and down this country. As fathers sleepwalk their children into godless living. What do you do if you're a mum by yourself? Your husband's not walking with the Lord. Primarily pray. Call on God to break the stronghold of evil. Wives, how should you respond to your husband when he repents? Lovingly. Submissively. Gently. husband and wife together, bringing children up in the ways of God. This has to happen if there's going to be a reformation in England. There has to be a change here in the home. Only God can show us these things. I'm not saying if you do that, all your children will follow the Lord and be saintly. That's not the issue. The primary issue is you want to obey God. And you want to be godly in your home. And if your parents go away from the Lord, they know they're going away from the word of God. But you pray and pray and seek God and pray. How shall we end this? Let me remind you by stating again that Joshua's last discourse before he went to be with the Lord at 110 was basically in Joshua 24 and verse 15 to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was after that he died and his generation died out that you get to Judges 2 and you get the generation that didn't know the Lord. May the Lord help us to reclaim our children for Jesus Christ. May the Lord help us to realize actually the education system doesn't need to be the last word in what happens to my children. Whether they go to school or not, I am going to make sure I teach them this book and fight for them. They're worth fighting for. Jacob is worth fighting for. Joshua is worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Now, friends, as I've ended this challenge, let me end with this. Remember, the Lord isn't in the business of just condemning us out of hand. He loves us. And it's because he loves us, he disciplines us. And sometimes we need a strong word to bring us back in line. The stakes are too high to be mild over this issue. I must 
put it out there and say, Dad, it is time to change. Please realize that as you go towards the Lord, the Lord will bless you with the resolve you need and furnish you with everything you need to lead your family in the ways of God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let's pray.